Hey guys, what's up? It is week 136. I have a slew of reviews for you to do. Most of them are 2019 releases, so let's start this out. Um, we have from Dread Central releasing. This is Automation. Uh, yeah, you can tell pretty much right off the cover what this kind of movie is going to be about. It's about an automated robot who uh, is basically taking over these factory jobs in this, uh, it's kind of a futuristic world, industrial environment. And uh, Otto is a robot who starts to learn and it kind of makes a statement on sentient being, you know, they're not supposed to be sentient, but of course in every movie ever robots start to become sentient, start to develop feelings, think Terminator 2, think um, Wally, -E, all those kind of movies like that. Ex Machina even try to tackle that kind of subject. So. It's a very broad subject in the sci-fi kind of horror world. So, Otto was originally designed to do something else. We all know what he's supposed to do, right? Right in the beginning, he kind of figured it out. And that's kind of, a, again, a trope of these movies that they re-kind of uh, incorporate a robot to do something. And he, they put him somewhere else, and it doesn't work out. So, Otto starts to have feelings for a co-worker who kind of is a contracted, uh, you know, struggling, um, you know, artist. And they start to form a relationship. Pretty soon, the company has to cut a bunch of employees. They're going to bring a bunch of automated robots in. And they realize Otto is an outdated program his battery's dying it would cost twice as much to replace the battery instead of just put two new robots in there so they're going to get rid of auto auto overhears this auto kind of pulls a 2001 where he understands that uh, he made a mistake or he's no longer um needed so he doesn't want to die because he is somewhat sentient so he kind of misinterprets some things and goes on a rampage you kind of know where it's going right off the bat um in the beginning there's some really funny moments um there's some heartwarming moments with the robot kind of learning what love is and learning these kind of deals and there's some nice setups and payoffs the acting ranges for the most part it's pretty decent we have a couple familiar faces in here we have Graham Skipper from a slew of things pretty much all the um, Joe Bigos movies and some other things as well um, we also have Marv I can't ever pronounce his last name uh, Bolvet Velt or something like that he's kind of like a bodybuilder actor he's been doing this for years he's in a few movies that I've seen uh, old kind of low budget stuff so I, I it's nice seeing a couple familiar faces Essentially, what we have here is kind of quirky workers or whatever being picked off by the robot. There is some CGI. The CGI is um, okay. I don't really care for it. I think some of it's shoddy, but the practicals are cool when they're there. I think that the robot works well. I like these kind of deals where the robot becomes sentient and has to, you know, uh, you know, struggles with its humanity, I guess you'd say, within it, and you end up siding with a robot over half the people in the movie. I kind of like that deal. But uh, Graham Skipper plays a dickhead. Uh, he's ridiculous in this movie. Um, some of the sound, I noticed there were some sound issues probably in the factory. It, it just had a lot of echoing and it just didn't seem as professional as a lot of the other sound mixing. Um, towards the end, like the third act, it does kind of get repetitive, but that's common in horror films, running around from the you know antagonist and trying to survive. But really the heart and soul of this movie is Otto and his relationship with his co-worker. And that's kind of where you um, are really invested in the movie. And I think that works. And I think all around it comes across fairly decent. Um, and I enjoyed it, to be honest. And I kind of, if I remember correctly, um, sometimes these run together a little bit. But I remember kind of digging the music. Um, but they did have some, um, I liked the music, but they had these like sound um, bumps in there, sound cues where they're like, Vroom! and that it was such a thing that they were doing like five years ago and every movie had it. So some movies that are more low budget are just getting released now and they were sound mixed probably then. And you hear it and you're just like, oh man, that just feels like everything came out, big or small movies. And it's just 
like annoying sound, you know, um, kind of deal, which drives me nuts. But uh, yeah, this one I thought was okay. Thought it was pretty decent. Um, in the beginning, I was really liking it, but it starts to, you know, um, just kind of lose like the stuff that I was enjoying more so with the robot and his relationships with his coworkers. It does that stuff, but it's not as strong in the end. It's strong, but it's not as much of it at the end. It's more running and hiding kind of deal. Uh, there's a bunch of special features on here. Um, a making of this 30 minutes long, some bloopers, some deleted scenes, some alternate takes. So um, if you want to check this out, it's a pretty decent watch. I like how the robot looks. He is pretty practical. He has a nice little camera in there and like lights and everything like that. And I'm glad they went with a practical robot here or this movie would have been abysmal. So because the robot is pretty much, you know, the driving force behind the movie. That's automation. It's been six months since we began the automated worker program, and by all accounts, it's been a massive success. Hello, Jenny. I thought you might like a pick-me-over. It's pick-me-up. Would you like me to? So how much staff are we talking about replacing? 90%. Staff meeting tomorrow, everyone. Oh, no. Is it really happening? There's going to be some big changes around here, and it's thanks to you, Otto. Changes? More machines. A big upgrade. I am not training a machine to replace me. Are you distressed? Otto, are you okay? You okay? Otto! Otto is built to handle worse damage than this. What was Otto originally made for? Once we copy Otto's data, we can start the deactivation process. You're getting rid of Otto? It's just a prototype. The next models are going to be much more efficient. You were ordered to deactivate me. This job gives me purpose, and I will not allow you to take away my purpose. He's firing a laser. We don't need that for shipping and receiving. Identify yourselves, enemy or ally. Halt. Okay. Who goes there? There is no reason to hide. We gotta shut him down. Okay, the next one is another Dread Central film, and this is The Golem. Uh, yeah, I heard a little bit about this movie. Uh, the Golem, I always say Golem now because, or Golem, I always mix it up because Lord of the Rings. But The Golem is, you know, an ancient kind of uh, old uh, monster or whatever legend that's kind of hardly used. One of the first horror movies ever um, featured uh, Golem. But, uh, yeah, you don't get very many Jewish-centered horror films, and i got to give the movie props for that. Uh Right away, this takes place in like the 1600s. Again, a period piece, Jewish, uh, you know, kind of a horror film caught my interest. And again, it uh, goes with a monster that is barely ever used in films. And the story, though, is definitely that kind of deal. What we have here is these uh, Jewish people living in isolation. There is a husband and wife who are kind of the main characters, and you realize something's wrong right away. She kind of looks at children differently, and you think that something happened with her. You learn that she, um, they had lost a child, which is some really kind of hard thing for a lot. It's a great way to start a horror movie, the loss of a child, because it sets this kind of dread and dark um, atmosphere throughout the whole movie and a sense of just um, absolute misery. So it has that going for it. If that's not enough misery, 
story, there's a plague happening on the outskirts of town where a bunch of the Christians are being affected by it. So um, the Christians begin to blame the Jewish people, saying they put a curse on them because they're not affected, even though it, uh, that they're just isolated. So basically what happens is the Christians invade the town, bring their sick little girl right in a wedding, which is uh, rivals the wedding scene in Tombstone at the very beginning there. Um, and they demand that they cure her daughter, his daughter or they die. So that sets it up for the... Um, main character in this film who is you know the woman who's struggling with the loss and everything like that and has some dark secrets of her own struggling with you know her husband and all that kind of thing um sets her forth to kind of raise a golem which uh you know is a very dangerous kind of uh you know really looked down upon thing in the jewish religion it's kind of kept secret and they show the effects of what happens with one in the very beginning which is a really cool scene where you see a hulking one which is what you would basically imagine the golem would be a giant like creature made of like clay hardened clay or whatever like that so she basically makes uh the golem and it's supposed to protect the village protect her and it comes out as her son or looking like her son so she has a bond with it, but of course, you know, like Pet Cemetery or Pumpkinhead or something, when you raise something like that, there's going to be, you know, you're going to have to pay for what you did. So basically what happens is the uh, golem protects and kills, but it also goes overboard, of course. And I was kind of uh, taken back a little bit because I was expecting, even though it's on the cover, I don't, I try to pay at least amount of attention before I go into a movie when I watch it. Um, but it wasn't like the big hulking thing I expected. It was a small child, which is, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's unique to the golem um uh, mythology or not but i was expecting like a juggernaut but regardless i i was still impressed with it i was impressed that it was a period piece it looked authentic the acting was really solid the story was very intriguing and uh it was gory and they mix cgi and practical the practical looks good especially the aftermath you'll find a uh, body strewn apart the woods everywhere arms and stuff like that uh i enjoyed it and it gets really big at the end and has some chaotic moments i wish i would have got to see more of the opening to be honest i'm not gonna lie but uh for a 2019 this is a good movie. It's a solid movie. Very entertaining. Very ambitious. And uh, very, uh, pretty much very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, effective and it's a very capable film for sure. The, the Golem. You're a woman. A giver of life. God has assigned you a calling and you're refusing it. code inside the book of creation and create ourselves a golem and the man form in mud shall be engulfed in living fire let there be life what have you done i've created a golem it is a heartless monster and we must take it back from whence it came before it is too late He took on a handful of men with his bare hands. That is not a real boy. Golem's connected to its creator. A golem can evolve.
merciful, youthful Lord, we beseech thee, save this alien child, send the heavenly cure, and all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Besides prayer, there are other things which can be done. Okay, the next one here we have The Devil's Machine by Lori Brewster. Um, actually, this was called The Automaton, which um, is a very strange kind of a thing if you guys know what that is, but The Devil's Machine. Uh, again, this one partially takes place in a period piece. Lori Brewster is a director who did stuff like Lord of Tears, Unkindness of Ravens, and he did another one, The Black Gloves. So he's got kind of a name for himself. I seen the um, Lord of Tears when it came out, and I thought it was pretty good, pretty effective. I haven't got a chance to watch his other ones, but it's a 2019 release. So I wanted to check it out. Um, the Devil's Machine. First and foremost, I want to say this is a very ambitious movie. Um, there's a lot of heart and soul put into it and, uh, it jumps between two times. Essentially the plot is kind of, a, it's kind of a, a crazy one, to be honest. We have this kind of expert on this, um, there's a story that happened years ago where there was an automaton that was made out of a beautiful girl of an obsessive general who basically, he was obsessed and possessive over his daughter. He wanted, um, someone to make the most realistic automaton ever to preserve her beauty. And that is created, um, the daughter disappears and, Basically, anyone who is involved with the family or the automaton disappeared and died. So that's kind of like the myth, the legend. We have the lead guy here. He's an expert on that kind of time period and that story in general. And he brings his, I think it's his stepdaughter. It might be his actual daughter. I'm not 100% named Rose. And she knows the story well, too. He is hired by this kind of older, this, this guy, not older, but this guy who has discovered the automaton, which is thought to have been myth, which is thought to have been fake. He has discovered it in kind of, I believe, the house of the creator, hidden and um, basically he wants to give like six six um, tests to find out if it's the real deal because this automaton could do six things like dance or write a poem, a certain poem. So he's basically here to test out if it actually is the thing and give his expertise on it, give it some levity so whoever's going to buy this thing would know. But it has this weird curse, of course, so everybody he's a little leery about it. He thinks it's nonsense. So they move into this house, they start to study it, and of course the, the, the ghost of the past kind of to haunt in um, into the area. He starts to see the woman, um, the daughter, and the, the general, and they start to act differently. They start to be almost taken over by these things. Um, this movie takes has like two um, timelines going on in the past, which has like kind of a revolutionary style kind of um, you know outfits and everything like that. I don't know the exact time period. Um, I'm terrible with time periods and date stamps and stuff like that. Um, so basically that stuff, I will admit, um, while watching it, I thought it felt very um, like Civil War re reenactments or those people, like they probably got a bunch of people who do like reenactments of the like colonial times and stuff to be in here. And a lot of that comes across as high school play-like and uh, you can tell they're sh when they're shooting there's wars and stuff. So it's super ambitious. There's wars and everything over the automaton in the beginning. So, but you could tell they're like, don't get blood on the suits. Most of the suits are probably, you know, replicas or maybe the real deal kind of like are, are very authentic. So they're probably like, no, don't, can't get blood on that. And you can kind of tell there. Um, uh, the, the, it, it, like, it is an interesting story and the, the flashback stuff I don't care for as much as the modern day stuff. I will admit that, um, I love the lighting in here. 
The lighting's great. Uh, there's lots of blues. There's lots of fog. There's lots of reds and really unique kind of almost Italian inspired is what people would say. I think someone called it like Poe and, um, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Like it felt like uh, Italian and AIP pictures and stuff like that and Hammer. And I can see those influences in there and I appreciate it. The acting from the two leads I think is pretty solid. Um, actually, I think the daughter's really good too. Um, it does feel a little drawn out. I'm not going to lie. At times I was like, oh, Okay, let's. I, I understand where this is going, but there's some genuinely creepy moments, especially you know using shadows and darkness and everything like that. And the actress who plays the automaton, because it's played by a real person, just sits so still all the time. It's it's really good body um, acting for sure. Um, all in all, I thought it was a good movie. I thought that some of the acting was patchy. At times, they do seem really good, especially the general. He seems really intimidating, and other times I'm like, oh, he's really kind of hammy. And there's a deleted scene with him where he's going off and going nuts, and it seems like he's improving. I'm like, you did the right thing cutting that scene. It just doesn't really fit. But the story is unfolded. They just find like you know diaries and everything like that, and they dig deeper into the story, and they realize exactly what happened. And all in all, it turns out to be a pretty dark and um, gothic story that is enjoyable for sure. Nice lighting, ambition, a lot of hard work put into this one. The Devil's Machine. Yes, the terrible tale of the Infernal Princess. Famous round campfires the world over. Don't worry, I've read your book. She's just a myth. I get it. You have the wrong man. I'm sorry, but there is just no way the thing is real. This is exactly why I chose you. I want you to authenticate her. One week, one million pounds. Let's say for a moment she's not what I believe she is. Then what is she? Aren't you intrigued to find out? Okay, the next one I watched on Netflix, and I'm going to get laughed off YouTube for this one, but uh, it is Velvet Buzzsaw. And I'm going to say this right now. 
I really enjoyed this movie. I know it was getting a lot of backlash. I know a lot of people were hating it. But um, this movie also helped me discover a theme this uh, this year for 2019 movies. Um, there are so many horror movies that would make great 30-minute episodes of Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> but instead, they're stretched out to two-hour art films. Sometimes that works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Like, I Trapped the Devil didn't work for me. Um, and the next one I'll be talking about didn't really work for me. But Velvet Buzzsaw really worked for me. We have Jake Gill Hall. This is the same director of, um, what is it, Nightcrawler, which I surprisingly didn't like. I thought it was well shot, well acted. I just didn't care for the script. I didn't think it worked for me. But this one works for me. I get it. Maybe I just didn't get Nightcrawler. That's, there's a very uh, you know big possibility that's the case. But we have um, Velvet Buzzsaw. Jake Gyllenhaal is an art critic. He's very kind of pretentious. Like um, He plays the role almost feminine. I don't think I've ever seen him play a feminine role. I know he played a homosexual in um, what's that, Brokeback Mountain. But he's feminine in this one. He kind of walks around like um, like he's just the quintessential like art critic you would think um and he he's he's really good in it i enjoyed him also um he's an art critic and he's like high class art critic so he basically is the word when he says something's good it, it sells out he is friends with all the art dealers and all the artists and everything like that so renee russo is this big art dealer who used to be big into the punk scene and she's got this great tattoo says velvet buzzsaw that was her nickname and i love that she kind of embodies the character who used to be punk but then kind of sold out and made hundreds of millions of dollars selling art and everything like that we also have tony collette who's kind of um she i know she works for the library at first the museum and then she kind of um you know uh starts to be an art dealer herself uh picking up things for clients and everything like that she's great obviously she's in hereditary she's in knives out as well this year very very good actress um and who else pops up in this one john malkovich with a very top-notch role loved him in this and uh the plot of this movie it does feel like a lot of other art horror i have seen but uh uh, it is uh, this girl, this woman. She works for Rene Russo under her. She wants to make a name for herself. Wants to be bigger than she is. You know, ambition. Ambition will kill you in a horror movie. You guys don't ever forget that. Uh, when you want to climb that corporate ladder, you gotta. You know, you're gonna pay the price. So she um, she lives in this apartment. She finds an old man who has died in the hallway. Her cat's meow. His cat's meowing. So she goes in there and finds. She's an, she works at the art dealership, like I said. Um, so she finds all this weird kind of dark art and. Um, it's ordered, a Pat Healy actually has a cameo and tells her that it's ordered to be tossed in the dumpster. She steals it all, takes it to the art thing, and whoever sees this becomes overtaken with the art. They can't, they're ups, they are they get sucked into it, and it just doesn't, and, and and here's a little slight spoiler here. John Malkovich is a recovering alcoholic, and he's an artist, and he's just having a lot of hard times, but he walks into an art gallery, and he sees a piece done by this guy. I think it's Caprice, and he's staring at it, and people are walking around serving alcohol, and he just takes an alcohol beverage off the thing and drinks it because this art has power over people it speaks to them but it's because the artist in there um you understand and discover throughout the movie that there's a lot of crazy things going on with him so basically what happens is um everything around them art becomes alive in itself it is possessed by these paintings not the paintings themselves but the art around it becomes kind of almost um possessed by it and everything engulfed uh, and it kind of goes crazy and insane so people start ending up being killed it's very funny it's darkly funny to me um there's a character who keeps like moving jobs to everybody 
And she, it's just the luck with her. And she keeps all the people she's like working for keep getting picked off or killed or something happens where she has to change jobs. And at one point she says, I'm going to have to move back to Michigan. And I was just like, yes, yes, that's so funny. And lots of stuff like that. Um, there's a nice setup with the hobo care, like art piece, which is really funny to me. It's just funny. It's goofy. And it knows it's goofy. It knows it's weird. It's making this statement on the art scene. And it's just like, Watch these really pretentious goofballs get killed, and they're so stuck in their their lives, and they're cruel, and just, um, I don't hate them, I enjoy watching them, that's always a plus, but they are kind of people that you don't mind seeing get their comeuppets in a, in a lot of ways, so it's enjoyable, they incorporate art with the murder, and I like that, I like it in Bucket of Blood, I like it in any of the movies, to be honest, I'm kind of a sucker for art and horror and death, and I, I love that it incorporates that kind of stuff, because, you know, the filmmakers are artists themselves and they have an appreciation of art so when they add art in the movies I like it, it's cool and that's another theme I've noticed this year, a lot of art or a lot of artists and stuff like that But I, and I noticed that a lot this year, I'm not sure if it's been as prevalent in previous years but I really like this check it out if you have Netflix, it's it's long but it's worth your time, think of it as a really long Tales from the Crypt episode that's vastly entertaining and darkly humorous Critique is so limiting and emotionally draining. I'm hoping you find something to explain what's happening. Which one's better? One or two? Better or worse, no different. No different. I'm quite curious to know what you think. I think sober hasn't been good for him. Pierce was in the full bloom of alcoholism here. Exactly. Never should have quit drinking. No originality. No courage. My opinion. I can't save you. I found something. Who did these? They're mesmeric. A uh, guy upstairs, he died. And you just took them? He had no family or friends. I can make you rich. It's brilliant. Demand has people ready to kill. Have you ever heard of an artist named Ventral Deals? No, not in our records, and we have everyone. The artist used blood to create the reddish blocks. You ever notice anything about this painting? You look at it long enough, it moves. As I research these, I'm starting to think there's a disgust for the world of money. We spent decades in a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane. There is some sort of power. Spirit. It's connected to his art. <gasps> Something truly goddamn strange is going on. This is the slaughterhouse. Are you aware that Dee's asked that all his art be destroyed? Help! Get rid of it. I can't save you. People thought she was part of an exhibit. We're trending on Instagram. It's a major hit.
Okay, the next one here is also one I rented on uh, streaming. It is, uh, I rented it on Amazon Prime. And if you do rent this, make sure you get the unrated version. It's a minute longer. It is in fabric. This is from the director who did the Barbarian Sound Studio and the Duke of Burgundy. And I have seen the Barbarian Sound Studio, and it is a very well-made movie and very well-acted, and I like the premise. It just doesn't land perfectly for me. And in fabric, I want to compare these directly with this one with Velvet Love Saw because I feel like they sh sh share some sort of, like, they're they, they're very complement each other in a lot of ways, but one I like and one I don't. Saying this, In Fabric is a very strange kind of darkly trying to be humorous movie um, about a killer dress um, that was created by these very strange people. You don't necessarily know where they come from or what they're doing, but you understand that there is something occult with them. Um, it's an anthology, so it follows the dress and breaks it up. And that, that was kind of distracting. I think that people should know it's an anthology because I think that will prepare them for the movie because when you're invested in this movie and then it switches gears, you will lose um, some of it like I did. I, I, I became disconnected from the movie and kind of wanted to disengage from it. So to know it's an anthology will help. Okay, first off, it's well shot. It's well acted for the most part. I think I, I can't think of anybody who did poorly. It's well shot. It's well acted. It's, it's well directed. It has good music. It has good set design. So on those aspects, it's really good. And in a lot of ways, I'm sure a lot of people will love this, but I did not enjoy watching this. I did not like this. And I think it comes from the director's mentality. And saying that, it doesn't mean that he is a poor director at all because uh, what we have here is the first story. It, it follows all the characters in this movie are likable. They're decent people. Like I said, even in Velvet Above Saw, the bad people, they're kind of likable. But these people are good. You know, people that live their mundane, almost miserable existence. I feel like their lives are miserable and mundane, and I feel sorry for them. And I want to watch them win the lottery. I don't want to watch them be taken advantage of by an evil group of people that put power into a dress, okay? I don't need to see that. And I know people would say, but it's so nihilistic. But the concept is so stupid that I can't get into the nihilistic approach of something so stupid as a killer dress. And that's probably my hang-up on it. And if it was goofy, maybe, or maybe zany or something like that, I could forgive the meanness. But there is a real mean spiritedness to this movie and the humor doesn't land so it never it never um lightens it up for me so i'm always just kind of watching nice people be treated poorly and it's not my thing and it's funny because i am a fan of stuff like august underground because you're following the killer and the psychology interests me and stuff like that this movie we have the main character here's a middle-aged woman dealing with her son and her, her his annoying girlfriend and it's a funny thing the main characters are nice but they're surrounded by horrible people and they're treated poorly the whole movie so and then just to have a very very unsavory sad ending um the main character i liked her and see that's power and the director and the writer they made me love this character and then they did something that made me so angry and saying that a movie has power so is it really bad no is it for me no um so this character she she's down on her luck she's middle-aged she's trying to find um she's recently divorced she's trying to find love and eventually she you know she's dating and everything like that she gets this dress that she picks up from the store from these weirdos like i said they're really weird and um the dress is haunted of some sort something's wrong with it you find it discover some of the past through the stories but um it just bad things keep happening to her after that and it wasn't like her life was great in the first place or like she deserves any of this so without spoiling it halfway half the movie follows her and then it, it cuts jump ship to another character 
And and then we watch their miserable existence at the same time. An actor I recognize, he's from 28 Days Later. He plays one of the soldiers. He's in The Living and the Dead. So he, he's a famous British actor. This is a British film. So we follow them a bit, and we discover more of the story about the dress. And, of course, we see the, uh, the miserable things that happen to more people. So, like, I don't necessarily know what to say. Um, there's a really graphic scene involving masturbation and Mannequin having a menstrual cycle or something like that. And, oh, wow, that's really weird. And that's probably why I got the unrated version right there. That whole, that scene's probably the unrated stuff. Um, but it's just something that is kind of a miserable experience. Like I said, watching something like Velvet Buzzsaw that has these characters that are, you know, set up and just dessert kind of, you know, style. And you watch them get picked off by their own kind of doings is one thing that I do enjoy. Watching stuff of, uh, and, and I love nihilistic 70s movies or anything like that, like even something like The Wild Bunch where it sets up this, this thing where these characters have to find their fate here. This, I don't feel, I feel like it's almost, maybe it's, it's so grounded in that, but also so ridiculous at the same time and so mean-spirited. Like, um, this is definitely one you have to check out for yourself. I know a lot of people like it, and I, I don't blame them, but while watching it at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, no, no, this is not for me. And it's not something I would ever want to revisit. And I've watched movies that I don't want to revisit, and I, I praise them for that. This one, I can't praise it for it. I just, it's not its not my thing. But like I said, it is interesting to in a lot of ways, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll revisit it sometime and, and give it another try. But that's in fabric. A purchase on a horizon? I'm just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice, soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. The dress is your image, onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632. Nine, six, oh, seven, and seven, eight, 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 six, and six, and stop. As promised. Thank you. You look different. Oh my God, what's that? That looks nasty. Maybe just the washing powder. Oh, I hope it isn't catchy. How's it going, Sheila? Everything's fine. What happened to your hand? Washing machine went bananas. You who wear me will know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. The dog ripped it to pieces. Spanking spank you almost. Such a pretty dress. <laughs> Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. Okay, the next one I watched on Amazon uh, Prime Streaming 
It is Daniel isn't real. And this might be coming to Shutter because it had a Shutter logo before. So if it's not on Shutter by the time, maybe hold out if you don't want to spend any extra money. But Daniel Isn't Real is directed by Adam Egypt Mortimer, who did um, Some Kind of Hate, which I um, actually kind of dug. And he directed a segment in Holidays, one of the better ones, the one Valentine's Day one, I believe. So uh, Daniel Isn't Real. This film starts off with a young boy and he has kind of a, his parents are fighting and he realizes his mom has psychological problems. And right, right away, we kind of got this hereditary horror, you know, you think. Um, if his mom has these problems, it could be passed on to him. And th those are always kind of scary subjects. And, and also, we're, you know, we understand that this kid has some psychological damaging things. He witnesses a couple horrible things. Like I said, his mother and father fighting and he witnesses something else that's pretty grueling. And all of a sudden he, um, has no friends. He makes an imaginary friend named Daniel. So they have, they do everything together. They, um, sword fight and uh, play sword fight and do all these things. But then of course, Daniel wants him to do something awful that um, really is, is dark and his mother um, basically tells him you need Daniel to go now. Daniel needs to be locked away. So they do this thing and they lock him in this big dollhouse um, and he grows up, moves away goes to college and he's really kind of an isolated strange kid and his mother you know, having problems, he goes back and that reawakens these feelings and these memories of his mother with the psychological problems, the fear he has of his own psychological problems and uh, Daniel. So he decides to open the doll house Daniel comes out full grown played by Patrick Schwarzenegger Arnold Schwarzenegger's son and he kind of has this really kind of egomaniac thing so you think right away is this kind of the um you know ego versus the um whatever they do the super id whatever it is you know um mind thing here is this alter ego kind of deal or is it something else um the main character, he starts to um, benefit from Daniel, starts to get dates, starts to feel confident about himself, becomes an artist again. And that's why I can see that a lot of people that make independent movies or make art in their, their lives would connect to this movie because they can see or people that had this kind of psychological scares or anything like that, you know, mental disease or mental illness could possibly be very attracted to something like this. So basically, Daniel... Um, not Daniel, but um, the, the main character, he, uh, you know, starts to benefit from this, but of course it starts to turn downhill and it can go one of two ways or, you know, yeah, we can either go, this is all psychological or we can go something else, something past that. And I want to say a minor spoiler here. So skip the rest of the review because I want to give this movie some credit and I'm going to have to spoil something slight here, not even slight, but a, a turning point in the movie. At one point you realize that, Daniel is supernatural and that to me was a breath of fresh air how many times do we watch a movie where we watch half of it and we realize oh no they're just crazy or oh yes and then you're like okay and then like you look back and you start thinking like psychologically that doesn't make any sense people don't act like that but when you make it supernatural you you come up with a lot of those things and again like me and Felton joke around about the science of Freddy Krueger it's hard to determine the supernatural aspects, how you determine the science of supernatural characters. So it's it's kind of like that. People would say it is very Nightmare on Elm Street, and I can see the elements in that. I can see that, and I appreciate that because there's a lot of creative things in here, and uh, there's some cool special effects, and of course he must face off against Daniel, and and it leaves it a very dark but very satisfying ending and a very, a very fitting ending. Unlike In Fabric, which I felt was mean-spirited for no reason, I feel like this had to go here, this had to do this. And I feel it's more impactful that way. But it's well acted for the most part. I'm iffy on Patrick Schwarzenegger. A lot of people are like, great performance. I'm like, I don't know how I am to take him. I don't know if I like the performance or not. But uh, the lead actor I really did like. And I like the, his... his um, 
his kind of love interest, I think, is very good, too. She's like an artist. She's tough. She fights back. I like that. I'm seeing that a lot lately, too, in 2019 movies. So I enjoyed her character immensely. And I enjoyed the lead character immensely. I enjoyed the mother immensely. So the acting, for the most part, is really good. And it's not a gortastic movie or anything like that. But, you know, some people will say it's a horror version of Drop Dead Fred. But this is good. This is good, and this is interesting. And this makes me want to watch Adam Egypt Mortimer's uh, other movies. Uh, if this gets a blue release, I will buy it. I will. I like it. Okay, continuing the 2019 trail here, we have Craw by uh, Alexander Aja, you know, director of High Tension, director of the Hills Have Eyes remake, the Piranha remake, Horns. Um, pretty good track record, actually. I can't think of any movie that was a dud that I've seen. I didn't see Mirrors, though, so a lot of people don't like that one. But Crawl, this is a killer alligator movie, and it's also a hurricane movie, and it's also 2019. So, again, the alligators are CGI. That's a huge leap for me. I loved the killer animal movies growing up. You know, Alligator, Jaws, Piranha, Grizzly. I like that stuff. Any from the 70s or 80s or early 90s, when it's practical, I eat it up. I enjoy it. I love it. I have a soft spot for it. So, and that is the one thing where CGI really gets to me. Sometimes gore effects, sometimes monsters. I can be like, okay, it's enhanced. But when real animals are CGI, it's like, mm, that's so hard for me to get over. And saying that... um. I ended up enjoying Crawl. I know. I know it's, 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 it feels like it takes place in a grounded world, but it's also ridiculous at the same time. So I don't know how to explain that. I feel like Aja's movies are all like that. Like, I don't know if people would call that hyper-realistic. I don't, that term is such a weird term to me. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> give me a definition, guys. But it's not, it, it feels grounded, but also ridiculous. All his movies do. But I kind of like him for that. And I feel like almost all the French extreme movies feel grounded, but also complete nonsense at the same time and tonally sometimes it bothers me but his movies or the french extreme do not except frontiers that movie sucks but uh i shouldn't have done that but let's go back to crawl so uh, the opening of this movie we have this girl and right in the beginning it's really a melodramatic really soap opery where she's like trying she's at a swim meet so you're like we know exactly where this is going she's gonna have to out swim the alligators to save her life and save the day so they set it up even though if it's super telegraphed and cheesy but okay she's having flashbacks of her father played by barry pepper very good actor very solid actor 
about she needs to be the best she can be. Um, her, her sister calls her, tells her. She loses the race. Her sister calls her, tells her. Um, there's a hurricane coming through where dad is. I can't get a hold of him. You should go check on him. It's a very da- dangerous situation. She drives through some things she shouldn't and gets there, tries to find him, realizes her father is in the crawl space of the old house, hurt, uh, very badly hurt. So she's going to bring him out, but they are trapped under there by a large crocodile, uh, alligator, sorry, it's not a crocodile. Um, crocodiles really aren't too much in Florida. Maybe not at all. <laughs> maybe maybe down down in the ocean part. I'm not 100% sure about geographics where crocodiles are, but I believe there might be saltwater crocodiles. Maybe. I don't know. But so anyways, there's alligator and pretty soon there's more alligators. They realize this thing leads right to like kind of the, the drainage runoff and they got to survive and swim. Uh, what happens is they get messed up. They get beat up trying to survive and struggle and they would probably die. Okay. There's some really damaging things that happen to them. Alligators probably a septic bite. So you got to forget that kind of stuff. Forget it. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yes. Yes. That's kill me. But, um, so they're trapped in this house. Um, and, and what I really, like about the movie is how they can kind of rip this house to shreds with the 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 you know the hurricane coming through and the alligators and all sorts of things like that the house is real and they tear it to shreds and it's awesome there's also you know like a dog in peril here there's a dog that's around there and i don't remember who was talking about this movie maybe it was shockwaves last week but they said this is like the ultimate in peril movie they're like there's kid there's a dad in peril i think it was ryan turk said there's a dog in peril there's all sorts of things in peril but um you're thinking oh is this really just going to be two people trapped by an alligator or two people in a dog trapped by an alligator but no um, more people show up obviously the pad the kill count but you're not complaining when it happens because that stuff is really awesome really scary i love that they flooded it looks like a flood it's i don't know if it's a set or not but it looks really cool seeing a gas station flooded like that not enough movies take place in hurricanes or storms i remember hard rain comes to mind and that one's really entertaining as well shootouts in a a big like flood like that but this one kind of recalls that and i like seeing a lot of that stuff like the floods and the gas station underwater and looters and people trying to help them and it's gory when the gore happens it looks gnarly it looks good um the cgi alligators hold it back a little bit some of the ridiculousness also holds it back but at the end of the day it is cheesy uh with the uh, father daughter stuff but it still gets you a little bit at the very end so i guess they did their job i guess they were effective and probably were aware that it was a little cheesy but they knew it would pay off so you can forgive it all in all it's good it's fun it's solid if it didn't have uh cgi alligators it would definitely make my top 10 Um, but the CGI holds me back. It's just maybe, um, get off my lawn kind of mentality or just some subconscious block where I can't get over animals being CGI. I'm sorry. Still good movie though. The state of Florida has issued a category five hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families your loved ones and get out dad we won't be able to come for you dad dad yeah. oh my god what happened Hey,
In less than an hour, we'll be underwater! Banging on the pipes. Where's their senses? I can distract them for you. You got this! You need to go now. I'm not leaving you here! Okay, we got another um, kick me off YouTube moment here. Uh, everybody hates this movie. Everybody hates it. Everybody's making fun of it. But I freaking enjoyed it. The Dead Don't Die by Jim Jarmusch. Okay? All right. I'm a sucker for zombie movies. I love zombie movies. I'm a Romero-obsessed person. All my favorite movies directly correlate to George Romero. The Dead Trilogy, the first three. Um, all the ones that ripped it off. Return of me to... Like, all my favorite movies come back to that. I'm kind of an obsessive-compulsive person, if you guys haven't noticed. So, The Dead Don't Die. It's heavily inspired by Romero. It's a zombie comedy. Yes, that is a genre that's been done to death since Shaun of the Dead. Since hell, Return of the Dead. But since Shaun of the Dead had its big thing, there's a bunch of rip-offs there. This movie's 10 years too late. I know the problems. The fourth wall breaking's not very good. And sometimes it's distracting and not very funny. It doesn't get very eventful until the final act. But saying that, some of that stuff bothered me. Some of it doesn't. I really liked it. I'm a sucker for acting. I'm a sucker for cast. So watching Bill Murray and Adam Driver drive around as cops in a car where the whole world has gone crazy environmental nonsense and the sun's not up when it's supposed to be and the dead are coming back to life and it's making a funny statement on consumerism like uh, Romero amplified by a million kind of like hey you know Dawn of the Dead the consumerism let's do that like hard shove it down their throats and um, it's, it's funny for me it works so all the zombies people start to come back to life and they're obsessed over what they liked in life but they kind of can talk so they're like coffee coffee or whatever and it's stupid it's very dumb but there's lots of talky moments where there's shout outs to like George Romero and things like that and tons of things um the cast is great I already said Bill Murray and um Adam Driver, we have Chloe Servany from Kids, and I'll never forget her from Kids. So um, We have Danny Glover, we have uh, Steve Buscemi, we have Selena Gomez, we have Larry Fessenden. And Larry Fessenden is probably my second part of the favorite part of the movie besides Bill Murray. He's always a highlight. He just looks so great. He's so good. He's such a good character. He plays a doofus in this. He plays a dum-dum. But, uh, yeah, he basically runs the motel, and he it's got one of my best gags in here. Um, I'm just going to say free cable or cable, and he's like, yeah, we got... That's all I'm saying. But there's a moment where he's trying to feed his cats, and um, did I mention Buscemi's in this, too? But he's trying to feed his... He's feeding his cats, and he dumps it out with a spoon, and he puts the... Oh, after digging all the cat food out, and he puts a spoon in his mouth. I was like, Ugh. tiny, small little detail, but that kind of just sells you who this guy is right off the bat. And there's small things like that. The dialogue is funny. They're bouncing, Tilda Swinton's in it too. They're bouncing back and forth. She has different color eyes. It's got to be a shout out to David Bowie and what happens with her it makes me think that Jim Jarmusch is making a statement about David Bowie. But um, I enjoyed it. And um, 
I don't care. I like actors. I enjoy them performing, even if it is weird and subtle and just talky, weird stuff and quirky things. I liked it. I love zombies. The special effects are pretty good. The idea why the zombies rose from the grave is cool. Um, I don't like when the zombies get killed. I I don't like the dust. I would prefer blood or gore or whatever, but I'm not going to fault the movie for that. A lot of zombies actually have bite marks in them, which is one of my complaints about a lot of other zombie movies. So these people were actually tacked and mauled by zombies and then came back the next day. And it also has a weird environmental thing, kind of like let sleeping corpses lie. But, um, you know, it's the sun issue, the Earth's office access, so everything goes nuts. But this is really enjoyable. Did I mention Tom Waits is in here, and he's kind of like almost a narrator slash character in here, and he makes some really good comparisons to consumerism and ants, and it also reminded me of the Wild Bunch with all the ants crawling over there. But um, I would definitely watch this again. I'm going to have to buy it. I just uh, rented it. But uh, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to want to see Bill Murray with the 12-gauge shotgun blowing zombies' heads off again. And if that sounds like something you'd like, um, then check it out. I understand why people don't like it, the fourth wall breaking, but um, I like it. And I think it's fun. So sue me. Kill me. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying is coming. Excuse me, we're closed. Get away from me! What was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. You look gorgeous. Oh my. Are you in this together? Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke, it's really, really creepy. Oh, man. This isn't gonna end well. They gravitate towards things they did when they were alive. Coffee. Chardonnay. Did she just say Chardonnay? Yeah, she did. Welcome to my world, zombies. I've been telling you this is all going to end badly. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. I can see that. Excuse me. Those are some pretty good cuts. You played some minor league ball, didn't you? Well, um, a little class A. It was a long time ago. Okay, the next one here I uh, watched on Vudu, and this is Ready or Not, starring Samara Weaving, who is in The Babysitter and Mayhem. And I'm going to say this right off the bat. Here's another theme that we have from 2019. The rich people are evil or dumb or gross or whatever. We have Knives Out. We have Ready or Not. We have Satanic Panic. And this fits right in with that. So basically we're having a lot of issues about classism here. Think of Us as well, another movie about classism. So uh, yeah, 
we have Ready or Not. Um, I ended up liking this one. I didn't love it, um, especially after watching Knives Out, and it's it's my own hang-ups. I was just watching Knives Out and seeing this amazing, wonderful cast and these great performances, so I wanted to compare these two. I big, big mansion, gothic kind of style movies, and I shouldn't, because they're nothing alike, so that's my own hang-up. Uh, like I said, Zamara Weaving is tremendous in this movie. She's the saving grace of this movie. Her character's great. Her performances are great. And all the other characters... With besides the father and mother in here, I didn't care for very much. I didn't think they were very interesting. They were kind of boring, kind of lackluster. We have here is Zamara Weaving has to go back um, to her. She's getting married. Her husband comes from a weird family. He kind of never talks about them, and they have to do this weird ceremony when they get married. They're all rich, and uh, oh, some of the some of the in laws I really like too. But uh, so they basically have to get married in this area and, and then do this weird ritual where they draw a card and have to play the game in the house. There's one card that all hell breaks loose and they have to kill her. It's hide and seek. So, uh, yeah. And you kind of discovered that this family has a dark past, you know, a dark occult past without spoiling too much and some weird kind of goofy shenanigans play out. Uh, I wish that they would have killed more of the characters throughout the movie. The idea at the very end that something that happens is really kind of refreshing and fun, but I think it would have been better if they would have pick off characters instead of just bringing in lame characters that had nothing to do with it and killing them under funny what what they think is funny circumstances um like i said um a lot of the jokes didn't land very well for me like i said i enjoyed the in-laws i thought they were good um the heavy guy who's like looking up how to use a crossbow and the um wife of one of them who's just super like gung-ho to do this like i am not going back to my everyday life. So I dig some of that. Uh, I, I like how it looked. It had a nice, unique look to it. When the gore's there, it's gore. And there's some real sudden, like, fast cut, really nasty stuff. Like when they throw somebody in a pit and their head hits, like, the wall and their neck break. I was like, whoa! Stuff like that. And the ending's absolutely ridiculous in a good way. Um, this is a quickie review because um, I, I enjoyed it and I, I think I want to maybe watch this one again and give it more of a fair shake because I, w I had some hang-ups or anything. Like, I, I would put it somewhere on the same level of satanic panic maybe this a little better than that one but they're around the same caliber for me I, enjoyable but um they just didn't tickle my fancy like some other stuff we're gonna start the count good luck believe that in half an hour I will be a part of the Lodomus gaming dynasty empire uh, dominion we prefer dominion I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family there's just one more thing and then you are officially part of the family so at midnight you have to play a game why it's just something we do when someone new joins the family a game what game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? You shot the maid. Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress? Emily? <laughs> Holy shit! I had to play along so that I can get you out. It's insane. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Found her.
Damn it, Emily! I don't know what I'm doing! And today's video is called... Getting to know your crossbow. I forgot my gun. Why don't you just use mine? Mr. Ladomas, I just saw her running. Oh my god! You're just another sacrifice. Do you think this is a fucking game? Yes, hide and seek. Remember? You wanted to get married. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, let's get a couple more quickies done. We have another one that hit Netflix, In the Tall Grass. This is a Stephen King, Joe Hill adaptation. And I didn't know much about it. I just put it on. I heard some things about it. It was on some people's top ten lists. So I start watching this. And uh, a couple is driving through the city. Um, the girl's pregnant. I think she wants to give it up for adoption. It's a brother. It's not a couple. It's a brother and sister. And they pull over for a second. They hear uh, next to like kind of isolated church in the middle of nowhere. And somebody's screaming in the grass and says, help me, help me, as a little kid. They go in. And they um, start to realize they're lost. They can't get out. No one can find each other, even if they're, they seem very close to each other. They start to bump into other people. The boyfriend of the girl comes looking for them. He gets into the grass, and you realize some weird, crazy time loop and, and all these jumps in time and, and stuff's going uh, in there. And when I was watching this, this better not be an hour and 45 minutes of people lost in a field, and that's it. There's no other storyline, no other mythology, because I will turn this off. I'm not watching people walk in a circle, okay? Um, and it's not that. And I was thankful for that. I was very thankful for that. Again, we have the idea of, you know, uh, a great 30-minute episode of something like Twilight Zone or Tales of the Crypt uh, into like an hour and a half movie. But I think this one is a little bit more effective than some of them. I enjoyed it. And um, I thought the acting was, eh, until Patrick Wilson came out. Um, Patrick Wilson in this movie is tremendous. He's from, you know, like The Conjuring and Bone Tomahawk. He gives one of my favorite performances of the year in this movie. He is this kind of, I think he's like a real estate guy or some, or some kind of insurance guy. He's one of those types of guys. You know the character. And at first he seems really, he's like, come on, I'll get us out of here. And he leads him to this giant rock. And that's when we realize this rock is supernatural and, and all these kind of crazy weird things happen. And it starts to get really nightmarish and, and terrifying. And like I said, time loopish. Um, they do some cool things with the graphs. They do some uh, lots of reoccurring kind of things happening over and over and over again. And I like that. Um, kind of like Groundhog's Day in a way, or more so, I would say, Blood Punch. Uh, I know some people will be like, Happy Death Day, but those two are both before that, and I never saw Happy Death Day. So um, all in all, I thought this was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked how it, um, it wrapped up. And I think it's it's well worth watching. And uh, you get at the end, you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. You get invested. You get very invested. And Patrick Wilson is tremendous and very funny and scary at the same time. And I love that combination. So uh, in the tall grass. And this is actually directed by the guy who did Cube and Splice. I saw Cube years ago and it fits perfect. This is definitely something he should do. You know, very good. Did you hear that? Someone out there? Help me! Help me! Cal? Becky! 
Something's not right about this. I think we should head back to the road. Becky? Travis? Who are you? What's going on? I came looking for you! What? How did you get here before us? I don't know. My boy, he's lost in here too. This is nuts! It's only a field. I'm never gonna find her. You can find things. But it's easier once they're dead. How long have we been here? I'm not sure. That sounded like me. This field doesn't make any sense. I'll name one thing in here that does. You think this is just chance? We're all here for a reason. Oh my god. Okay, we have another one from Netflix, or from Amazon Prime. This is The Fanatic or Fanatic, directed by Fred Durst, starring John Travolta. I'm going to say this right now, and um, Devin Sawa. Everybody was like, this is so bad. This is the worst movie ever. Here I'm getting kicked off YouTube again. Everybody's like, I think like, somebody, I was talking with Moose, and he was like, yeah, it's probably everybody's just hating on Fred Durst. And I think that could be it because, you know, it is easy to make fun of Limp Bizkit back in the day and everybody acts like they never listened to it or whatever they did, even though they did probably and probably bought the CDs and then they're like, he sucks, right? And then they were listening to it 10 years before that. So whatever. Okay. Um, they want to treat this like the next room or Troll 2 or something like that. Go ahead. You know, I hope it's successful, but I don't see it like that. I really don't. Um, John Travolta plays a character called Moose. He is the fanatic. I wonder if people are hating on this movie, especially horror fans or uh, people that are obsessed, like fans, like uh, obsessive fanatics. They're watching this and be like, that's not just seeing themselves a little bit in the moose because I mean, like, I can see my obsessive compulsiveness in that. Like, I gotta have this, I gotta have that, I gotta buy all these movies and watch them and love them or whatever. You know, that happens sometimes. And Moose is a really weird character, and some people probably could call John Zervolta's performance offensive, that he is making, he's obviously slow, he's obviously not there, um, they could say his performance is offensive, but I don't think it's exaggerated. I know people would say it is, but I've met people like that. I know people that are fanatics of movies and stuff that act just like that. He must have some sort of, you know, um, a level of mental illness or, you know, brain dysfunction or whatever, but Moose is a sweet person. He's obsessed with this actor. I can't remember the actor's name, but it's played by Devin Sawa. And he has, you know, a friend narrating the whole story, telling the story. So you don't really know what's going to happen to Moose. You don't know what's going to happen to Devin Sawa. But Devin Sawa is going through his own problems. He's kind of a dick. He's actually really aggressive, and you don't really like him. And that's kind of an interesting thing here because we have John Travolta's character, who is a fanatic, who's obsessed, and becomes obsessed with him after he meets him, and he doesn't sign a vest he bought um, because he and uh, John Travolta starts to stalk him and everything like that. And at times you're like, oh no, you're on Devin Sawa's side. But then times the movie starts to 
flip and you start to end up kind of on Moose's side. So I think that's kind of interesting in the aspect. I um, was laughing a little bit because he's so awkward, but I didn't think it was over the top. I think like, you know, if this is if this is considered over the top and completely implausible, so is um, Billy Bob Thornton's performance in Sling Blade, and I think that's a tremendous performance. Okay, we got to get over that thing that actors can't do do other roles like that. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's got to be done. I mean, they're actors. But I, I I thought this was pretty decent. I thought it was okay. There's some some gnarly gore at the end, a little blood. Um, I, I generally felt sorry for Moose and was scared of him at the same time. And at times I felt sorry for Devin Sawa. And I hated him and liked him. And they were intriguing characters and lots of stuff that you could kind of side with both of them. But um, there's some, you know, loophole things like why would they not do this? Or why did... You got to kind of give it some points or, or give it some leeway, not points, leeway towards some things. But all in all, you know, a first-time director who never really directed anything before is not horrible. And I... John Travolta is very hot and cold for me. Like sometimes he comes in and I was like, oh, that's a great performance. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like the Punisher. I was like, I did not, not a good performance. Very lazy to me, but that's just me. I thought he was good in this. I liked him in this, you know, face off, broken arrow. He does good jobs. And I think he's good in this. I enjoyed this. This is a weird movie though. And, um, and a lot of people are calling it like the room or something like that. If it was better made, but, uh, maybe it is. I don't see it. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Dunbar. Is Hunter Dunbar here tonight? That's enough. I need to get an autograph. Don't let him do this to me. I'm a fan. I'm a number one fan. Is it difficult to find famous people's houses? I use my star map app. You have to be careful. I don't want you to be accused of stalking. Hey, you can't just come to my private residence looking for me. Listen, pal, I don't know how you found me. But I don't ever want to see you in this neighborhood again. Help! I just wanted an autograph! Wait! 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 How do you mind? Hey guys, what's up? We're here to, uh, I guess, talk about it, chapter two. Do you want to do? We're probably gonna spoil a little bit, huh? Yeah, I mean, especially the ending. Yeah, probably. So go past this. It's going to be a spoiler review. I'm sure most everybody's seen it that likes horror movies, except, you know, me. I waited for the 4K, so missed it in theaters. I don't even know how to start this. It had been a while since I seen the first one. I saw the first one when it came out and enjoyed it. thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. the first one I thought was really good. Actually. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I liked the miniseries growing up, even though it's... It's a TV movie. It's three mm-hmm. hours long. It's kind of like first half is great because it has the kid connection. Second half, right. kind of sloppy. So... I, I I like the uh, nostalgic beats. Kind of similar to Stranger Things, where it kind of focuses on like that childhood, you know, friendship camaraderie bond. I think that that was just one of those strong points of the show or the movie that they hit home. They the do that a lot, though. That's like that's like the direct connection to horror. Is like if you even like adventure movies back in the day, like the Amblin shit, like 
the Goonies or Monster Squad, if you like add kids into danger, kids in peril, it's yeah. like a subgenre of itself, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to necessarily be horror, but it definitely thrives on that. And that's a major Stephen King component. Stand yeah. by me. Uh, so yeah, like the It series, if you guys don't know what It is, and I don't know why you'd be watching a spoiler-filled review of It Chapter 2 if you don't know the plot of It, but essentially um, this one takes place originally, the first one is in the 80s and they're kids, and they uh, the town of Derry is sort of like cursed with this evil, I don't know what the fuck he is, but he, he takes the form of a clown and he eats kids and lives off fear. So the kids, this is basically the sequel, so they come back, they all forgotten about Pennywise and have successful lives, except Mike, to to come back to stop the clown. Yeah, pretty much that. Because every 27 years, he must feed because he's like a fucking cicada or something. I don't know. He wakes up and he's like, I'm hungry. He's got to eat feast every 27 years. The runtime. I know everybody complains that people complain about runtime, but there's a reason they complain about the runtime because two hours and 50 minutes is too long. Yeah, yeah. I think when they were kind of going into like the series of just flashbacks and their artifact scenes. I understand that that was big for the story, but it did get tedious and kind of formulaic for sure that you knew, okay, he's going to jump out. Yeah. yeah. The first half, like the opening, I was like, man, there's some great like like transitions here. This director or his cinematographer, whoever did, is really good at like showing great transitions, really interesting transitions. Sure. I like the circus stuff in the beginning that reminded me of being a kid and everything like that. And that whole opening was... It was from the book originally with, like, the guys beating the homosexual guys and the guy falling off there. And that was kind of cool to see that in a movie because they would have never been able to pull that off in the miniseries. Although, dude who was beating the gay guys, like, he's supposed to be, like, teen, it looked like, because he was hanging out with his little brother. Dude was 45. (laughs) (laughs) One of the gay guys was all huge, and, like, this other just holding down all easy. I'm like, oh, man, this is just, like, they need some realistic casting here. That's interesting that you say that, because I would say that the casting directors, besides that part, did really good. I mean, there was a lot of characters that they showed their kids in the flashback. And then uh, their adult versions. I mean, these are secondary characters, and they still look spot on. So that was pretty good. But. Henry Bowers was great. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was cracking me up. He reminded me like, juiced out Michael Moriarty. But I don't know if that's kind of a, that's a, kind of a stretch. But no, I thought the acting was solid. You know, as the adults, you got Bill Hader, James McAvoy, uh, Jessica Chastain. And there's some other ones. I mean, I'm too familiar with the other actors. You know, they all look familiar. Right. And who else pops up in this as an actor? Like I said, I, I don't know who Henry Bowers is. But, you know, I thought it was pretty decent. My only real complaint, the acting, I mean, was decent. The only real complaint about the movie is, there's a couple, like I said, the humor. Yeah. Like, it's good sometimes, and then it's just overused. Like, sometimes they don't let the dramatic beats play out. They have to interject with a comedic moment. Like they did in the first one, too. But adults, they don't always say stuff and anything like that. Sometimes... Too much talking sometimes. I I, I think you said it best while we were watching it, is it kind of struggles to find its tone at parts. Like when when Rich comes out of the the darkness kind of imitating Pennywise, he scares everybody, but then they're kind of annoyed, and then it kind of zooms up on him, and he's like, oh, I was just trying to bring some levity to the situation. I'll see myself out, and he just walks off camera. Like, that was really kind of meta, and at the same time, unnecessary. Like, it was funny for the jump scare false fallacy i guess but 
it just didn't make sense for that to happen at that time. I wish the humor, like, they have humor where, like, they run into, like, a, a hole. Like, at the end, it's Goonies, by the yeah. way, too. They're, like, the cave, and the <laughs> shit's falling on the ceiling. Like, this is just a Goonies scene. But uh, at the end, they run, and they come to three doors, and each door says scary, not really scary, super scary, or something like that. And I was like, yeah. that's the kind of humor that should be in here, because it's coming from Pennywise. Right. But, like, when they have to have quips and everything, like... It's really weird. You can get away with realistic dialogue by and still being coming off with like realistic stuff. And some of it is, but a lot of times there's like these like quirky like side comments when like people are dying. It's like sometimes it fits and other times it just needs to go. Like the joke should be like endearing to a certain point. And I think that's probably what they're trying to go for is like their sense of like camaraderie is like endearing. But I don't know if it always works. Because, yeah, because there was, I mean, there was definitely jokes that landed pretty strong, I yeah, think, yeah. you know. So I, it was kind of like uh, hit or miss. Like, even for that three doors scene, it was almost like straight out of Looney Tunes, honestly, when you see the Pomeranian and yeah. Transforms. I like, think it's supposed to, it was going for cartoons. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, I've never read the book, so, I mean, I'm not sure if he's ever displayed anything like that. or. And th- there's a lot of fan service in here, like we saw the Thing Head. Yeah. Even use the line from it. And in fact, that Pomeranian scene, when that thing turns to the Pomeranian, it almost looks like the thing from the Twilight Zone movie um, in the Joe Dante short, or more so like this rat monkey from uh, Dead Alive, actually. I wonder if that's what it's going for. Because they do lots of things like that. There's a, there's like some like uh, fan service to Shining, the thing. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of that stuff going on. And also, this movie does have a meta approach, because I don't remember in the book them ever making fun of Bill's character for not being able to write endings. But that is a <laughs> infamous critique of Stephen King's work where he can never write endings so they always constantly making fun of the writer character for not being able to make an ending so I think that definitely plays into that and of course Stephen King has a really good cameo right and then ironically I kind of have a small issue with the ending of this movie like I mean (laughs) ironically I I think but I don't think this yeah all right I mean I I I don't know like I, I I just think that their heel turn on not being afraid of him anymore it was just a but like like we were joking like i said to you too i was like like that's the same thing with freddy krueger and i was like fred what is it science of freddy oh, yeah. science <laughs> of freddy because like oh like i'm thinking i was like none of this ever makes sense i was like but think about freddy krueger like the science of freddy that should be a book i said that's gonna be in my next book and this is like a bunch of chapters about the science in the nightmare on street series like it's just like Oh, like it's just bullshit. Like if you try to like make sense of any of the supernatural stuff, like Pennywise can be like an omnipresent presence wherever the fuck he wants. But then at the very end, like he doesn't know that the kid snuck around. Right. Like you know, I'm where I'm at in bed. Like what I'm doing right now, you can like run up and find me. Like I'm yelling in the sewer, but I can get there in two seconds. But I don't know that you snuck around. Like there's just lots of things like that. Like it, it's just like if you try to overanalyze, like the powers of Pennywise. I guarantee people would be like this too. They'd sound like a politician. Yeah. Like, well, at this moment, Pennywise was weakened by their state, so they didn't have the power over, they had the power over Pennywise, so he can no longer do this. It's right. like, get the fuck out of here. I when mean, do they say that? Yeah, that's why he goes after kids, because they're yeah, afraid yeah. of him and stuff. I, but you were talking about the scene under the bleachers. I think that was a really good scene. Oh, that scene. was the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah, for sure. And that rivals, I don't want to spoil another movie that's unrelated, but that rivals kind of, almost rivals the scene in Dr. Sleep. I think in Dr. Sleep it's more powerful. Another Stephen King adaptation. But, I mean, that one has a real horrific scene. And, and there's a couple, all every time, I think there's like three kid deaths in this. Yeah, but I mean, there was a lot of kid corpses. When yeah, that oh, that part was awesome. But that was, that was awesome. That was a great flashback. But the kid um, deaths in here are really nasty. Like they're the best yeah. scenes in the movie, and like the director can shoot horse so well. 
and comedy pretty well too, but never mixes them appropriately every time. Well, not a, he mixes them sometimes, but they just don't. It tonally sometimes it's just all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I, I would recommend it. I think it's really good. And like I said, the set design's good. The cinematography's good. The transitions mm-hmm. are good. The editing is good. There's lots of good stuff. Yeah, for sure. I just a little too long, but if you got time for it, I think it's yeah. great. CGI is mixed too. Like sometimes yeah. the CGI, I'm like this looks good. Like and then sometimes I'm like, mm, too much. Yeah, yeah. Like it's iffy. CGI is always like iffy for me, anyways, because I'm old and I'm like <laughs> practical facts. I always I, I get the benefits of both. I think. I think if as long as they can convey what the, what they're trying to do. I'm here for it. But here's the real issue with CGI. If you're watching a movie that you absolutely love and it has a real horrible CGI scene, usually <laughs> you'll let it pass because the movie's so good. But if the movie's not good to you anyways or you're bored and it has bad CGI, that's the end of it. Yeah. That's just the nail right. on the coffin. Like you just like if you start getting distracted by like some things like that, I know sometimes it can actually destroy a movie, but most of the time it won't. Most of the time you'll be like, ah, whatever, it has some lousy CGI, but the rest of the movie is great. But very, but but sometimes if you're not into the movie and there's bad CGI, that's just like the nail in the coffin. You're like, out. That Matrix Two scene was terrible. <laughs> that's the problem with CGI though, too. I love like Matrix. you're rewatching old movies that you're like, this was awesome when I saw it when it came out. And then you put it in like American Werewolf in Paris. <laughs> like it's just cartoons running at people in live action, and this isn't Looney Tunes back in action. This is supposed to be real. I, it's, it, it really is bad. <laughs> I can understand why. Like it's difficult, like you said, to recreate like live animals, live humans. Like yeah, that's rough, rough. Yeah. Like, especially like real animals. If like, yeah. you're making like a fake animal, but like when I see like a lion, like a CGI tiger or some shit, I'm like, yeah. I know tigers are probably what. There's probably like two tigers. I can count all the tigers in the world on my fucking <laughs> one hand by now. It's cool. But it's probably true. But no. We gotta bring. What about that Scorpion King CGI though? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. And I mean, that's 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 where I can see the argument. And if it's like art, right, if it's like that, it ruins the whole immersion it's of the over. film. Practical effects, I definitely could get behind. But I mean, I like CGI Yoda and uh, Puppet Yoda. So I like uh, Puppet Yoda. I don't like CGI Yoda. I don't care if they can't get Puppet Yoda to use a lightsaber or not. <laughs> that would be terrible. He's like. That would be scary. <laughs> he like this? He couldn't even do flips. <laughs> they shouldn't be doing flips. Yoda used the force. He didn't use no lightsaber. Dude, Him and the Emperor should just be doing this. <laughs> That's all they need to do. Like I said, there's different. Like I think there's different Jedi's. Some use lightsabers. Some don't use lightsabers. Yeah. You ever see Mace Windu? Shouldn't really be using the force. Luke, yeah. kind of a little bit of both, but better with a lightsaber. Yeah. Vader, both. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now that that was Star Wars, A New Hope, but uh, I would recommend it. I'm probably like seven, seven and a half out of ten on this It movie. Yeah, for sure. Could, could go up if I watched it again. Because mm-hmm. there is some heartwarming moments again. Like I was like touched at certain points, but other points during heartwarming moments, I was like, I wasn't sleeping, but I was just like eating a bag of chips. Like, what's going on in here? I think it would have really hit home too if I had enough time to watch the first one like right yeah. before too. Yeah. It took me a little bit of time in the beginning to recharacterize everybody and stuff. The one part that I did look over and said, this is fucking tedious, is when they, like, each character, and they all need their character development, but they each got, like, a 15 to 20 minute sequence where they're, like, wandering the streets trying to find their token to fight it. And I was like, I just, like, literally had, like, 20 minute flashbacks. And I was like, oh, there's, like, 30 minutes left. (laughs) And I turned it on, there was an hour left. Yeah. 
All right, I'm good. You? Yeah, absolutely. Right, I'm done. Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. guys what's up it is hammer time and budget cuts because i'm getting lazy right now i just don't have time to do the three cuts and everything like that yeah you're lucky you're getting it at all i'm just kidding but regardless uh again we're continuing the hammer time and this time we have the fifth 
Fifth, Dracula. Uh, taste the blood of Dracula. And now I think we've officially entered the Hammer 70s. This one takes, this one was made in 1970. Who directed this? It was Peter Sazdy or something like that. He went on to do another Hammer movie, I believe, and some other things like Nothing But the Night and ooh, The Devil Within Her. And so he has, you know, some, some horror movies under his belt. But okay. Uh, it continues the story right after where the fourth one left off a direct sequel which is kind of rare i mean the hammer dracula's all are in the same universe they follow the same characters either van helsing or count dracula and they pick up where the last ones leave off so this one directly picks up we uh see this kind of shysty business guy i don't know what he is he seems to be like one of these guys that picks up like trinkets or garbage and sells them at 200 percent markup and uh, he tries to sell it to this mongoloid guy. He knocks him out of a carriage. He rolls down a mountain, and he witnesses Count Dracula die. From so, the last movie. From the last movie at the very end. So he runs down there being kind of like, uh, what do they call those people that always take advantage of a situation? Um, that's basically what he is, though. So he jumps down there, and he takes Dracula's cape, his ring, his medallion, and his blood, which has turned into some sort of powder. He, uh, that's, that's what we open up with. And then we are introduced to this family, um, of this really, really strict father who is a complete asshole, a complete piece of crap, but he gives an amazing performance. He's a very strict father. So you get the impression that he's probably deeply religious or something, but he leaves and he meets up with two other men who all are this kind of weird kind of group of, um, rich men that are bored with their lives who seek, you know, um, what would I say these things that they seek out are, you know, they go to transgressions. They seek out a lot of transgressions. <laughs> they want to dig deeper into, like, weird things. And they, they're just like, I've lost the will to live regular life. Right. So um, they're introduced to Ralph Bates, who is an ex, ex, like, excommunicated um, baron's son or something like that, or a um, prince's son. And he um, introduces them to the guy who sell, who's, who is, has Dracula's blood in his hands. And that's kind of where we'll start off. I talked a lot there. I kind of set up the plot because it's, it's really plot heavy, this one. And mm -hmm. it's really batshit crazy, to be honest. You can kind of... I know you're a little exhausted, so I guess I'll just run through the rest of the story. I, I'm exhausted, but yeah, no, let's, let's go with it. So, um... So it's, it's three men. All three of the actors are fantastic. Tremendous. And they're all... Um, and, and the thing is, um, it, it's again one of these scary things where when Dracula is eventually resurrected, I don't want to spoil too much, but the way he's resurrected is awesome. And when he is resurrected, he doesn't target them. He targets their children because that's the ultimate revenge. Think Nightmare on Elm Street. Think mm -hmm. a la later um, um, Hammer movie, Vampire Circus. So it's kind of going that route. Um, and of course, you know, some of the kids of these people are in love and they're all intertwined. So they kind of are going to bump into each other after they're turned or killed or whatever. So it, it kind of kills people off that you don't expect that order. Right, yeah. Um, and I don't want to say the order they kill him off in, but um, I got to give props to the main guy in this, the main father-like guy. Oh, um, what's his name? William? William. William Hard, Hard something like Hard, that. Hartford? Or? Uh, Hardlow? Harlow. Harlow. Harlow, probably. He is a yeah. tremendous uh, actor and performance and character, and his facial expressions are amazing. Uh, Ralph Bates, this is probably his first appearance in a Hammer film, too, I think. And he goes on to be in a bunch of other ones. Uh, Lust of the Vampire, Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. He's really good in this. And the other two, um, one kind of plays, I guess, a cushing role. He's kind of wimpy. And the other is um, <laughs> just kind of like a big, almost looks authoritarian, but turns out to be the most intelligent of the bunch. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Michael represented. Oh, he yes. He is fantastic. He's a police detective, and he's <coughs> hilarious in it. 
Uh, very bit role. Yeah, um, but still good. Uh, Christopher Lee as Dracula is really good in this one. Mm-hmm. He's scary. He doesn't talk much, but he's very commanding and just really scary. And uh, saying that, uh, this is one of the sleazier ones. There's nudity in the beginning, which is kind of surprising. Uh, and there's not very many much nudity yet in Hammer's kind of history. Right. Um, there's also a, a good amount of gore in this yeah, one, too. Yeah, it's pretty bloody, pretty bloody. Um, yeah, I don't want to give away anything specific, but... Um, yeah, there, there's some, some pretty intense moments when... At the, um, at the end of this movie, the demise of Dracula, because you know he dies because there's another movie. It's like the most existential crisis Count Dracula has ever had in his life. And I, I actually really enjoy it. Some people may be like, what? I don't know. I, I really dig this one. No, I, I really like this one. I, I, I will say that I was confused as to how he died. <laughs> and uh, maybe I dozed off for a second or, or something and just miss like a frame or something but like uh i i don't want to, i don't know, can i explain what happened well no, i i don't know yeah. i think this is probably you can't keep killing dracula the same way every time right. they got kind of creative with it they but did. also kind of unique like i said this one also has an occult setting like mm-hmm. like um what was the one the um, vampire one kiss of the vampire and the devil rides out Hammer has kind of obsession with the occult and the witches, so it's like Drac- vampires meets the occult again. And I really like that because, and it also shows these rich gentlemen who think that they've lived everything. The second they're faced with some real danger or real fear or real like horror, they chicken out and they they, right. they wuss out almost immediately. And I thought that was really kind of funny. Again, Hammer really likes to dog on people with money. They do. Oh yeah. So the, I mean the. Um... The whole resurrection scene, I thought, was, was fantastic. It was really great. Ceremony. Yeah. Um, um, I, the kids are really some of the major kind of players in here, too. And, and they're really good. They're solid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like the Hammer movies because they're not really overly gratuitous when it comes to violence or nudity, even though it's in there. And maybe at the time, this one was probably pretty gratuitous and violent for what it was. But they have... Um, they aren't always the happiest endings. People die. They kill people. They don't. They never are happy, and they they are very kind of abrupt too when they end. Mm-hmm. And, and there is never like there's never a complete resolution or anything like that. You know, characters die. Dracula's finished. It's over. Kind of like right. the Universal movies. Although I think those were a little bit more happy, even though characters do die in those as well. Um, this is one of my favorite Draculas, if not my second favorite, maybe tied with Brides. I think it's better than Brides. Actually, I like this one better. I do too. Actually, um, so far in terms of like the Dracula, it's a good series. Yeah, it's a good series. But but this dragon in particular, I think um, it's a really good, entertaining watch, and I would really recommend it. Yeah, I think that the Dracula series is the second strongest series in Hammer uh, after the Quatermass. Probably. Yeah, it's better than the Frankenstein. It's better than the Mummy series so far. So yeah. I give it eight out of ten. I five out of five. You give it a 5 out of 5? I give it a 5, because I, I don't think there was a single bad part in it. Um, here we go with Creature Features. Um, John Stanley, and here we're going to hop into this. Um, I'll probably have a bunch of words I can't pronounce, but hey, you guys know I'm a dum-dum, so let's hop into this. A Taste of Blood of Dracula, 1970, 3 out of 5 stars. A tooth bite above most of Hammer's Dracula films of the period, with Christopher Lee again conveying an aurora of menace when three gentlemen in search of lust and thrills engage in a... 
I always lost in a, a bit of uh, Satanism inadvertently resurrecting the long dead count. These men and their families meet death in horrible, uh, I always have uh, Elbet traditional vampiric fashion. Dracula, in a genuinely imaginative climax, they like it here, faces a new form of death in a recently reconstructed church. Above average direction by Peter Sazdy with screenwriter John Elder atoning for the horrible botch he made of Evil Frankenstein. Thank you. Evil Frankenstein sucks. I gave it like three out of five. I, I think it's less than that once I think about it. Mm-hmm. But um, what do you say here? It wasn't a, a remodeled church. The church was in ruins, right? Or was it remodeled? I can't remember. Well, <coughs> it kind of goes into where he sees it in ruins and it becomes remodeled while they're watching. It's like a crypt too. It's like they're, It's well, like a family's crypt, but it's like a church at the same time. Well, that's what I think what happened was I think you know it was a church. They redid it to be like an occult thing. Like they had like yeah. tapestries. And I think... He brought crosses back in the church. Yeah, and I think that's what ended up happening to his demise. It was like like the tarp fell down. He was like, it's a, I'm in a church the whole time. No, and there, was, there was crosses there. Yeah, there were crosses. like entrapped with crosses. So. Yeah. All right. What are you giving here? That's um, out of four, by the way. This is out of four. So Taste of Blood of Dracula, four, or three stars out of four. That's good. Uh, 1970, yada, yada, yada. In Victorian London, three dissolute pillars of the community take part in a black magic ceremony to revive Count Dracula. When the men kill the Count's disciple Bates, the vampire Lee seeks revenge by preying on their mawkish teen children. Good direction and an unusually strong subplot involving moral hypocrisy and the sexual suppression of the young make this a better than usual Hammer series entry, though the main plot makes little sense because Bates had to die to resurrect Dracula in the first place. So why bother with revenge? Well, there's a question to ask if they all would have drank Taste the Blood of Dracula, where the title comes from. What would have happened? Would they have all turned to Count Dracula? Or would they all be vampires under the rule of Count Dracula from beyond the grave? So or maybe really they didn't have to die. Like, maybe, maybe if they didn't die, Dracula wouldn't come back. That was... Maybe he would come back. He has to come back. Well, no, but they didn't die. Ralph Bates was doing it to bring him back. I oh, think yeah, yeah, but but maybe he was like maybe he's just going to kill one of the other guys. Maybe, maybe we yeah. don't know. We don't know. But uh, that's one of the many questions we'll have to ask ourselves before we sleep. Uh, the next one next week is Crescendo, which I believe is a thriller, also 1970. I think um, not much on this one, and not one of the more talked about Hammer movies. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm fine. Let's roll that trailer. Okay. Feel the cold grip of his presence. Sense the clammy excitement of his evil. Taste the sharp fear that he alone can bring. Dracula's blood. This way, gentlemen. We know the way. These men thought they had tasted all that life had to offer. Ready when you are, gentlemen. Would you be willing to sell your souls to the devil? If one thought that one's experience might be extended. It would be extended to infinity. There's something there. Dracula is back. To choose his human victims. Alice. Who are you? 
How do you know my name? Dracula is back to select his companions in darkness. Who must die that he may live. If you shock easily, stay away. She's neither dead nor alive. Lucy! 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 Prepare yourself. Every nerve, every muscle. No. Prepare yourself for the greatest shock of all. Okay, guys, let's get two more pick-a-movies here. The other people didn't get back to me, so I ain't doing them. So who do we got here? We got OD6666, and I remember the movie he wanted me to do because he like, you gotta watch, you gotta watch it, called The Nobodies, directed by his friend. So um, let me see another one here. He's going to go first for sure. I think I'm cheating. There's like three names in here. They're all going to get called eventually. So We have... Uh, Decatana 65. I said that wrong. So sue me. All right. <laughs> I guess we're going to hop into the questions. Okay. Um, David Leather. Love your show. Will Ken Russell's The Devils ever be released, or am I ignorant to the fact that it already has been? There was, I believe, a BFI. Um, let me see if I could spot it really quick. A BFI, a nice release from the UK. Yeah, but I, I think it is cut. I'm going to pull it over here for you. I have a couple releases to the Devils. I also have a bootleg Blu-ray, which I haven't got a chance to check out. But as far as United States uncut release or uncut release in general that is official, no. There is some, uh, see, this is the nice release here on DVD. No Blu-ray, but this is a really cool set. Um, I love this movie, to be honest. And this is the uncut version, I believe. It's as uncut as it can be, but it's kind of like a semi-bootleg deal. But, uh, yeah, this is a bunch of stuff on here. Um, DVD premiere presentation of the original UK X certificate version. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you can probably import these. I do not know if they're super rare or anything like that anymore. But I've been holding out for an American Blu-ray or a UK official Blu-ray for a very long time. Because it's a genuine classic. So, I do think that um, when it's brought up that Warner Brothers still kind of has a hard-on for the movie. They don't care for it. Um, Zach Nolan, maybe this would have been good for the video voyage, but would you consider reviewing The Haunting of Julia? Great atmosphere, creepy soundtrack, reminds me of The Changeling a bit with a female lead. Needs a Blu-ray release. That's been on my radar for like 10 years. I actually um, do have access to a copy, and I do I will watch it eventually, but i got to get past these 2019 movies. Remind me in a couple weeks, like three weeks, and I will try to check that out because I, I should have done that on the VHS voyage. It was on the short list to do, but I didn't get to it. Nick Mua, how do you feel about all the 80s nostalgia? Are you okay with it? Sick of death to it? Somewhere in between? The thing with the 80s nostalgia, it's again, like I'll say, it's like CGI. Like, if the CGI is bad 
and the movie's great, you don't care. But the CGI is bad and the movie's mediocre or bad, you get upset at it. So if the 80s nostalgia, if it's in a great movie and it's done decently, you won't even notice. But if it's in a poor movie, it'll just get on your nerves. Sometimes I think it works. Like the movie I never cared for that everybody loves is Summer of 84. I just didn't, I didn't care for that one. Didn't get it. But um, I'm not sick of it as long as it's done well. I mean, it is what it is. Why do so many studios who make horror films play it safe, do you think? They want money. It's all about the money. So there it is. Um, it's all money. Always will be. You recently reviewed Jordan's Peele's Us. Very enjoyable review, by the way. Thank you. How would you react if you met your underground double? Ooh, how much would he differ from you besides munching on raw rabbits? Who says I don't munch on raw rabbits? Um, I don't know. I'd be shocked, probably. A little confused. Shocked, confused. And, but I would defend myself if I had to. And I would hope that um, he had a real big meal the day before and he couldn't move very fast. And I would hope that I was ready to go. But um, how would he differ from me? <clears throat> He'd be pretty vicious, I imagine. He'd probably have no um, sense of regret so he'd probably do all my impulsive natures so he'd probably be very violent and probably would whoop my ass um then we have some answers which i asked uh basically what was it oh where will physical media be in the next um like few years so jordan will jonathan wilhelm i think dvds dvds will be around another five ten years until 4k takes the place of blu-ray blu-ray will then take the place of dvds rumor has it 8k is right around the corner uh, Bump as Hounds, I own enough movies across three formats, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, to last me five lifetimes. So if I, so I'd have to problem with, no problem with physical media disappearing. In some perverse way, it might actually be a relief to not have to add more titles to my collection. Makes a good point there. Uh, Nick Mool, I want to remain hopeful, but I fear physical media will fade out eventually. Or worse, physical media will become hugely expensive. That's very much the case. Now it's kind of rising in prices. It's definitely a collector's market. Paul Wykill, I don't think physical media is going to go away, but who knows? I hope it doesn't because I really enjoy seeking out rare movies and adding them to my collection. Sure, it's convenient to have most things available to you stream on a, in a streaming format, but for me, streaming really helps kill some of the joy of collecting. I feel like I'm turning into one of those people who believe everything from the younger days is better. For God's sakes, I still listen to CDs. We all are. Like I said, I was like... MCGI alligators, they're no good. They're no good. You got to get them out of there. Yeah, you know, get off my lawn. We're getting old, right? Uh, Dave G with independent companies like Vinegar Syndrome. He's, he's. Uh, I think he's. Uh, yeah, yeah. With. Uh, sorry, independent companies like Vinegar Syndrome, Shop Factory, Air Video, Blue Underground, Synapse, and Severn releasing films targeted towards collectors. I don't think we need to worry about physical media dying. We are living in a great time to be a collector. Also, I'm with you, Paul. I still buy and listen to CDs. I'm old school and enjoy putting the CD in the player and reading the lyrics in the booklet. And then Wycal um, responds, I'm very thankful for those companies. Their releases are in, always impressive. I love the fact that they have so many of them go an extra mile and give us plenty of extras as well. What you said is true. It's a great time to be a collector. It's also cool to know that there are other people out there buying CDs. Have a good one. Viper Rose 1978, not really sure what is going on, where it's going. I will say with the resurgence of vinyl, it's hard to not say that it all comes back full circle. Tommy Huffman, honestly, it looks to me like more and more people are going back to physical media. Uh, Brolito, I, I was <laughs> having trouble saying your name. Is it uh, Brolito? Uh, Romero? Tough question. He doesn't know. Uh, Michael Sinat, in my opinion, even more online based, except for the boutique label companies, which deal with the cult stuff like Vinegar Syndrome, Arrow, 88 Films. I think it will make come a more burn on demand structure for future and back catalog titles through Amazon, etc. 
excluding maybe big titles like Marvel movies. I think he's got a point there, too. Matthew Hudson, on my shelves, but nowhere else, except perhaps your library. In other words, I am under the impression everybody hates it. Well, I like a library displaying my stuff. I know you do, too. We'll hold on to the outdated physical media together. Seth Poland, in my house. Uh, Amy Fox Goodwin, it seems like there has been a resurgence in physical media. Last year, Walmart, Target, and Best Buy reduced all their physical media areas. Now they have increased them again. And that was a huge part of the Black Friday sales. I think nostalgia keeps physical. I accidentally cut her off. I'm sorry because I forgot to press C more on the thing and I copy these. I, I thought I did. Um, I think nostalgia keeps physical media alive. I think that's what she said. I'm sorry. Um, I'll try to remember to put read the rest of that next week. I do that sometimes. Um, got a lot on my plate sometimes. Michael Honeycutt, hopefully going strong. I could not be less excited about streaming or 4k. Uh, Adrian ba- Baez, he just puts an evil Donald duck. I, uh, Tony Walters dead. He puts Yoshi falling down the stairs in a gif. Mark Humphreys. It's going to be for serious collectors and film enthusiasts and will continue in some form for foreseeable future. People who have a passing interest in film will jump on the latest streaming fad continuously. Jared Leary. I find it frightening how many people just chose to stream everything these days. All I can be sure of and find comfort in is that fact that you and I and thousands of others will continue to collect. My VHS section will live on till the day I die. Sean Donahue, funny enough, I have been talking to a fr- few friends about this. Honestly, in 5-10 years, I think new physical media will be gone. If you look at 10 years ago at where it was and where it is now, there's a significant decline. So imagine 10 more years added to the decline. It happened to VHS, it's going to happen to DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, Justin Burning, what is it now? A boutique uh, thing for collectors? Um, my printer messed up here. When different, sorry, my printer is messing up. He says, but he makes a joke about there's a, there's a laser disc resurgence in our future. Tony Masello, uh, sadly dead, except for the collector's market. I do think that is the case, too. Uh, Jeremy Rem, uh, Ramsey, it is staying strong, or should I say normalizing. There are still billions in physical media sales every year. Streaming will never replace physical media due to the rising cost of internet and data caps. DVDs replace VHS because it's a better quality. Uh, Carol Danvers, Jerry Ramsey, I hope you're right. With streaming, people chose convenience over quality. Uh, most of the stuff on Netflix is terrible with the exception of a few series uh, and movies, but they aren't releasing them on DVD. Streaming only release is annoying me a lot. Uh, Jerry Ramsey, I fully agree. Netflix is lacking in horror and so many are the streaming services. And so are many streaming services. Jonathan Doe, I think the distros that offer niche releases, horror and cult cinema, are going to likely going to be around for a bit because the collecting community is going to help it stay alive. But for the mainstream releases, I see physical media slowly, slowly all moving over to streaming. Jason Lindbergh, it won't disappear. Too many collectors. Too many people who like vintage or classic things or ways of doing things. I own a record label, a VHS uh, player. I hate VHS, but still. I listen to old-time radio shows or tapes even when I have them in my phone. Streaming is cool, but there are just too many collectors. Dustin Mills. Man, I messed this up so bad I forgot to press C more on like half of these. Dustin Mills. Genre fans are keeping physical media, but what are we seeing is a big revival of nostalgia be great in Sherlock movies, which is not a bad thing, and the loss of non-genre classics as well as big studio films. Classic drama... Com- I'm going to kind of uh, improv what he says. Not improv, but classic comedies and dramas aren't being seen like they used to. I think that's what he's saying. And uh, we had this conversation before, too. It's just like horror and big movies are out there and Sherlocky B stuff, but like when you go back and just say like a random classic western, like for this one, for sake, like um, this is a very... Culpepper Cattle Company. Great movie. Nobody talks about that. It's just stuff like that, like the medium-sized movies that came out, or even some of the big ones are completely lost. Like you barely hear people mention like classics, like uh, Cool Hand Luke or something like that, you know. But they'll, but everybody knows what the Frick Troll Two is. 
It's not. I love horror movies, but that's not good. Um, then we have uh, Paul Andolina. I'm really hoping it sticks around. I buy buy DVDs all the time. If physical media goes away, a lot of my legal access to foreign films will disappear. I can buy a movie from Russia or Japan on DVD now and watch it. But what happens when those go away and I can't stream them either? Lucky uh, Lloyd on my shelf. Michael um, Weimerslitch, uh, three. His friends overstuffed closet. He basically, basically posted a picture of um, in Friends uh, Chandler's overstuffed closet. Ben Steer, uh, Stetzer, not everyone has internet. Physical media will never go away. Greg Deliso, The Dump. J- Jason Laquiri, collectible curiosity like vinyl is now. Thomas uh, Filio, it will always be around because not everyone is into streaming. Um, Cody Lee Harden, I see it now. Your Clown House DVD in my room, that's where. We're still doing this. James Van Beber, Embraced. Kevin Keegan, On the Shelves in My Movie Room. David Hilton, I could easily see it being similar to vinyl records and the resurgence they have had. I don't think it's going anywhere. There's just something to be said about going and holding something in your hand. Also, if you're lucky enough to write, uh, be to write, direct, or be a part of a project, it is wonderful to see your hard work stream. Hard work streaming just doesn't have the same punch, or I don't think it does. Steven Spinelli at my house. Morgan uh, Suzek, not far from where it is today. 4K like 3D Blu-ray is a flash pan endeavor and will be phased out over the next couple years. They may try to replace 4K with something with whatever hipster thing comes along they think they can make extra money on but dvd and blu-ray will stay the definitive physical formats while everything else makes its way to digital rakish brown in museums and renner checking in okay um i guess we're gonna go to the question of the week and basically what i want to know is what are some reoccurring themes and setups we've seen in films from 2019 like i mentioned um, I, i'm seeing a lot of strong female leads um, this year i'm seeing a lot of art in horror films this year i'm seeing a lot of um you know kind of rich people being evil this year so what are some other themes and of um, in horror movies or in general that we've seen this year for 2019 movies and i guess we're going to hop into the update okay here we go let's hop into this we got a 4K here of, uh, you know, Once About a Time in Hollywood, my favorite movie of the year, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margaret Robbie. Great movie. Loved it to death. Can't get enough of it. Can't wait to rewatch it. Uh, I love Quentin Tarantino. I don't care if you hate him. I just, I love him. Let me have my thing. Loved all his movies pretty much, you know. So, yeah, this is one of my favorites of his and one of my favorite movie of this year for sure. Then we have... Wicked World. Uh, this is uh, Agfa. I don't know how this is, or Agfa. But yeah, this is by the guy who did things. This movie looks ridiculous. I don't know why they changed their cases. This is like the thicker British style now. I don't like it. I know I'm weird. It doesn't matter. But I think it looks weird. But uh, yeah, this looks weird. Barry J. Gillis. I hope it's fun. Then we have from Kino. Blue Collar, one of the season movie for years, Richard Pryor, Harvey Cahill, Yalfam Koto, Paul Schrader directed. Um, I work in a factory, so this definitely appeals to me. Um, you know, union stuff. I, I want. I am in the union, so I want to watch this movie for sure. Then we have The Abominable Snowman. Uh, this is a Hammer movie, one of the first ones we covered for Hammer time. Uh, Shout Factory released this one. Look forward to maybe checking out the special features on there. I, I, I like this. I don't love it. Peter Cushing's cool in it. And uh, who's the other guy in here? Uh, Forrest Tucker. Yeah, I think he's in this one. Yeah. Then we got Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde. I haven't seen this in years. This is another one Hammer put out back in the day. Ralph Bates. I really remember liking this one quite a bit. I like the weird Dr. Jekyll story, and then I like the weird gender, gender swaps and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, can't wait to watch that one, actually. 
Then we have some Black Friday stuff from the Dread Central re uh, sale. We have Black Sight. Don't know how this is. Deport All Gods. Looks like a sci-fi kind of horror deal. We have another one from them. We got, what do we got here? Um, oop, bumped it. Retcon 1. This looks like a zombie movie, maybe? Uh, yeah. Oop, zombie style movie. Um, not had a chance to watch this one either. Again, another Dread Central. They had them for 10 bucks a pop. It's kind of hard to pass those up for that. Then they have There Inside. Can we watch? I don't know how this one's going to be either, but uh, could be interesting. I don't know. Funny Games, Meet Strangers. I like Funny Games. Never watched The Strangers. But yeah, like I said, I'm willing to try out their company for 10 bucks. Um, ass, Assonaut? Like Assassinaut? I think it's Assassinaut. Um, yeah, this is by the director did Science Team, and I believe The Taint. And I really like The Taint. I was okay on Science Team, but I definitely want to watch this one for 2019. So yeah, cool stuff. Again, another Dread Central. And then the last Dread Central, Hoax, has Brian Thompson in there. Uh, don't know how this one is. Don't know if it's any good or not, but yeah, let's check it out. We're going to hop into, um, I guess we're going to do the uh, um, Vinegar Syndrome. We have the Angel Collection. Dude, they got some really great box sets, don't they? Some cool stuff. I'm going to open it up. We got the three titles here. They fit in there nice and snug. We got Angel 3. I've never seen these. I've always wanted to. Linear Syndrome's killing it lately. I know um, Christian uh, from Exploding Heads went off about the Spookies. But um, I always like the Spookies because I think it's a nostalgia thing. I saw it very young. I like the movie. So you go to hell, Christian. I like it. And I'm not just excited because it's obscure and on Blu-ray. I like all the freaking monsters, and I may have some brain damage. I, <laughs> I'll show that pretty soon. Let me get, It's going to take me like an hour to get these back in here. So you guys are stuck with me, because I'm not cutting. Not cutting, don't care. There we go. Man, that is a cool set. Now we have another set here. This is from Vinegar Syndrome. This is Vice Academy 1 through 3. Ginger uh, Al Ginger Lynn's in this and Linnea Quigley. Uh, not seen this one, to be honest. I've uh, not seen any of these. This is from their uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome archive, though, which is a cool label. They did uh, the first two last year, so now we got two more this year. I guess these are like sex comedies or whatever. I don't know how uh, raunchy they're going to get. They got Ginger Lynn Allen in there, so maybe that maybe they won't pull any punches in there. Then we got the Candy Snatchers. This is a tremendous movie. I have the DVD from years back. Um, this is a really good exploitation movie. One of the finest, to be honest. And I was super excited to see that they got this because this movie was out of print for years. It was just not available and I, I was lucky enough to have the DVD, but I was holding off for another release to rewatch it. But uh, the killer's got a real good gimmick where he counts out loud when he kills somebody. How many bodies he's got. But this is a good one. Then we have, let's show this first slip cover to Spookies here. Come on. This movie's nonsense. Um, they had a Canadian DVD release a little bit ago. But yeah, here we go is the other cover. Tons of monsters. Tons of great um, stupid effects, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a lick of sense. It's a very dumb movie. 
but uh, very entertaining. And I'm more interested in the special features on here, to be honest. I, I want to see the real story of what the hell happened to this movie. So, you know, a lot of times it's not, it's got a little ghouly script. <laughs> a lot of times it's not even the movie themselves would interest me. It's a story. I know that sounds maybe pretentious, but it's interesting to me, you know. Oops, I should have showed this earlier. It's the 4K of Tammy and the T-Rex. Denise Richards, Paul Walker. Dude, they went all out on this. I can't believe this. I can't believe we're in a world where this stuff is getting a 4K release. So weird. So bonkers. What is this life, right? I've never seen this. I've always wanted to. But then when I heard there was a gore cut, I was like, I'm not watching that until I can see the gore cut. Yeah, but it's supposed to be real weird. And then last, we have... Oh, last, the uh, Vinegar Syndrome. We have Savage Dawn. These guys look like like mean versions of the guys from Cruisin', huh? I've never seen this one. I think I have the VHS, to be honest. But that's a really cool cover. I like that cover. Another Vinegar Syndrome archive release. Oh, Lance Hendrickson. Is that George Kennedy in that? George Kennedy! Karen Black. That's a, Richard Lynch, William Forsythe? That cast is killer, man. That's got a lot of my favorites in there. I like all those people. Quite a bit, actually. So, yeah. It's going to be fun. And then we got... Uh, all you guys were telling me to go to Dollar Tree, so I went to the closest Dollar Tree, and they had junk. Like, straight-up junk. American Violence. It was a dollar. I was like, I'm here. I'm just going to get in line. It has Bruce Dern in it. I grabbed it. I need to check out some other ones. Maybe there's some nice stuff there, but... The one I went to, not so so much nice stuff. I don't know if this movie's any good. And then we have a couple DVDs. The Big Take. I bought it because it had freaking uh, Robert Forrester in it. Bill Sage is in there. I mean, it's got some nice people, nice cast, and Don Hiaya. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a dollar. Might regret it later, so I grabbed it. And then we got this red carpet double feature of Suicide Kings and Wagons East. Always liked Wagons East. Never cared for Suicide Kings. I know that's like the opposite of what it should be, but hey. Um been years since i've watched both but it's one of john candy's last movies uh and i remember it's kind of weird that like almost heroes was a uh, like chris farley's last movie and they're both kind of frontier movies kind of sad but yeah uh, i will rewatch wagons east it's been years but uh, i guess we're gonna hop back to the video all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always you guys have a good one mm.